Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. The Everyday Sniper. I want to thank you guys. We reached our 1,000 followers. We're actually over uh, 1,027, which is just phenomenal. I, I can't thank you guys enough. Mike, we're going, uh, Mike and I were going back and forth like a bunch of little girls last night uh, when we hit that 1,000. That we were so close. I went over to Sniper's Hide. Thank all you guys for stepping up and, and closing the gap in minutes uh, you know it was, a, it was a quick little hey I need this many more followers and you guys were all over it which is just great we really appreciate it and keep those questions coming uh, thank you for that a lot a lot of good questions are, are, are coming into both the forum and on the Facebook page so uh, either way I, I know Mike's been playing the Facebook page if you mention me in, in the Facebook I'll answer it I normally don't jump in unless I see my name gets tagged. Uh, there are some people that are directing questions in that direction, but I'm mainly over on the Sniper's Hide side of things. So for all you Sniper's Hide guys, thanks a lot uh, for that. Thanks for sticking with the site and the new changes. All that stuff's been really good, so I'm digging on it big time. Um, I want to jump into one question because it, it, it does... You know, it does speak to me in a way, and, and I see there's a, a lot on the forum today about it as well, so it, it's kind of a, a, a topic that comes up quite a bit, and it's eye dominance, okay, with a precision rifle. I know a lot of people mention that stuff when it comes to handgun, carbine, with iron sights, and shotgunners, how they deal with eye dominance, and, you know, it really does vary on the person, where they are in their system, but I'm left eye dominant and right-handed. I have an astigmatism in my right eye and uh, I'm like, God, un uncorrected. It's it's pretty brutal how bad my eyes actually are. Uh, even in boot camp, I was supposed to wear glasses and I, and I got away with never really doing it. So nobody checked too much and that's, I was able to go to sniper school even though I technically didn't have perfect vision. And so being left uh, left eye dominant, right-handed, the way that I am, I'm technically ambidextrous. It came across a little bit later. I can write with my left hand. Um, and my, my dad and my brother are left-handed. And so myself and my mom are right-handed. So I kind of have that in the middle going on. And so with my dad always doing stuff left-handed, I can do things left-handed. And, you know, for me, down at Rifles Only, it was always a monster challenge to fight that eye dominance issue. And I spent a lot of time doing it. The The funny thing is, I it would be my bare bet. Like, shooting left-handed for me was always better because of that eye dominance issue. So it's like, okay, we're going to do, you know, some game of horse with guns. And, and we're going to do a bet. Uh, and... I'll do it left-handed, everything left-handed, and always, always work out better for me. But what I did is a lot of my dry fire, a lot of what I did was just concentrating on keeping both eyes open when behind a rifle. My, there, There's a couple ways of attacking this. The questions on Sniper's Hide is for a new junior shooter, somebody has a child who's got the eye dominance issue. So let's start at the beginning there. New shooter, child, whatever the case may be. It's easier to go right immediately and, and, and let him be a left-handed shooter and you're investing in the equipment to keep him to the, to the left side because ideally you do want to stack up behind that dominant eye. 
Okay, so the, the reason why we don't always advocate it for an existing or an experienced shooter who's now trying to correct this issue is it's expensive to switch everything to the left side. You know, if you're switching sides like that, yeah, you can run the bolts the other way and, and there is some merit. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, a right-handed bolt action is for a left-handed shooter because you're using that support hand to come off the rifle. You're, 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 you're staying on the gun. You're not moving the trigger hand, so you're a little bit more efficient. It's almost like semi-automatic, magazine change, all those things you would do besides press the trigger, comes from the support hand. So where you run into the problem is positional. When you have to hold the front of the rifle, now that support hand has a job. So you can't just default to running the bolt because then you got to do the come over the top and run the bolt because the front hand's holding the rifle up. Now, if you're in a supported, whether it's position, if the, if the rifle's being supported by another object, then you could run the bolt with your support side hand. So, you know, that's that's one of those ways you're doing it. Because we, I mean, rifles only still to this day is huge putting people on their support side. We always did it. Oh, uh, you know, a lot of war fighters, a lot of support, you know, you got cover from the left or right. We were constantly making them switch hands to shoot. And you see a lot with that. Number one, you have less, less bad habits. So once people get over the head and eye kind of part of it, in the coordination factor to it, you know, there's a hand-eye coordination element, they generally shoot better because they don't have that bad habit. And under instruction, you'll find that as long as you don't put the bad habit into the new side, you'll do very well moving forward. It's more of a struggle to go the route I did. And what fixed it for me was getting glasses. Once I had those glasses in place and I got shooting glasses, now the, the key with shooting glasses are as big of frames as you can get. You need more lens. Now, there's, there's a school of thought that people don't want lenses stacked behind lenses. I get that. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of sort of things you can do. You know, if you're going to wear the glasses, wear the glasses. You can't switch. You got to watch. But the thing is, with think of your scope has a sweet spot. And there's a lot of people finding that out. There's that sweet spot in the center third of your scope, which we've talked about. Then there's a sweet spot in your reading, shooting, long distance, personal eyewear glasses. If you're laying down or you're in a position and you're looking through the frame and it's not big enough and it's odd you're getting close to the edges you throw in a certain amount of distortion and guys see this distortion and it can cause a problem so they don't want glass behind glass and and that's understood but that's not always practical so zero with the glasses get everything sorted out where you're going to wear them make sure the prescription's right I find I can shoot no problem with both eyes open with my glasses, okay? And and like I said, I trained them. You got the muscles around the eye. You can really work on them. It was my dry fire routine was more than pressing the trigger, was focusing on both eyes open. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of reasons why we want both eyes open. Fatigue on the face, 
Okay, it, it, we're, we need that predatory vision. We need that, that, that dual vision to judge uh, distance and our brain likes it better. But our brains are really complex. You can tell, hey, do this. Hey, do this. And eventually it'll, it'll come and play. It'll work. But with a, with a little kid who's that way, the, the shortcut answer is, yeah, move him over to that dominant side. Now, you can do like the scotch tape across the glasses. Works really well. You don't have to invest in the money. You don't have to buy the products they're talking about. Now, when you do, if you're going to take away that information from the dominant eye, you want the strip vertical and as narrow as possible, okay? Because we don't want to block our peripheral and we want the eye to be taking in information. And you'll find with that, just that little bit that, you can kind of get stereo vision. It, it, it's almost, um, you know, like I said, our brain is really complex. It'll default into this sort of stereo vision view, even though you're taking some of that information away. For me, if I get tired, if I'm not hydrated, if I'm not fueled up food-wise, physically, you know, uh, Mike was talking about the article with Stacy with the uh, like Mile High Detachment has the physical fitness girl. Um, and you know, she just did a thing on hydration for shooting and competition as the day progresses in a match, as you're in the sun all day, as you're not drinking enough water or eating enough snacks and you're running around, my left eye starts drooping and closing. You know, even if I'm wearing my glasses, it, it begins to wear. So there is something to be said for that, that physical aspect part of what we're doing. But if you just take away a little bit of that information, let the, the eye continue to bring in other information, you'll kind of, it'll, your brain will overlay a stereo and you won't get that fatigue factor. You can block it up and use the right eye. I said, I don't see it anymore. I don't even think about it anymore. But I worked and worked and worked with dry practice. Um, I am still a better shot on my left side. In a, in a lot of ways, especially like with a handgun, you know, now with a red dot on a handgun, which a lot of us are doing it, it, with my glasses, especially I'm all good. The red dots, no problem. But my, my zeros are my, my sights are, are always skewed with handguns and stuff like that. There's a, there's a physical negative to me with the eye dominance issue. And I've come to overcome it in a lot of ways, not necessarily in the perfect ways but I have overcome it quite a bit and, and can get away with it in my older age now especially with the way my prescriptions work and on my glasses I'm not really a big fan of it um, I had to bump up my my long range a bit and now that I'm wearing bifocals too it, it's it the, the progressive lenses I have are, are are mismatched enough that it's annoying at times if I run into something like computers, seats on the plane with the TV screen that's in that middle ground where they they kind of put the, the my progressives at like 18 inches and sometimes that's like that middle ground and the, the long range aren't focused right and the short range aren't focused right either. I just take them off and, and, and I'll go that way. But there, there is, there, it, it is a trick, man. Yeah, you can overcome it through training. Yeah, you can overcome it with shortcuts that people talk about. But I think when you're a new and junior shooter, swap them over would be my advice. You know, get them going that way. Now, the bitch is, 
left-handed stuff is that difficult. If they're not going to be shooting positional or shooting, you know, like a kneeling traditional sling shooting, that's the downside, that traditional kind of sling shooting. If they're not going to do a lot of that. You can get away with just having them work a bolt with the with the right hand on a, a right side bolt with a left hand shooting. You know, it does work better. It's faster. I mean, it, it really is a much more efficient way of doing it. You just have to understand if you get into a sling situation, you're going to be at a bit of a disadvantage or in those cases, back the power down and maybe get them to shoot the right side that way in those limited contexts and then shoot the, the strong side prone and things like that. So supported positions are, are from the left and unsupported positions are from the right. And you have that advantage of eye-hand coordination where you could do both and if you close your eye, to be honest with you, if you block the information or close your eye for five shots in a sling stage, you're not going to lose, dude. You're you're not you're 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 in good shape. You know what I mean? It's a compromise. It's 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 way of doing business two different ways. Um, you know, I don't really think there is a short answer. I think it's the it, it's what works best for the individual. What they go through the best you know it may be a case of try them one way try them the other whichever way seems easiest for them to move forward with go in that direction as a new shooter as a as an experienced shooter when you're trying to switch man you, you just either got to work with it or you you got to know when you're going to switch you know i mean it could be a case like with me i shoot i'm going to shoot my rifle with the right hand because the scope's going to help and then i'm going to go to left hand for handgun that would be the smarter way of me today at 50 to do business, you know? And and so there's that where that compromise falls. But it's not uncommon to see eye dominance issues. It's not the end of the world. Like I said, I've fought through it. I know like I deal with, um, talk with Larry Vickers all the time. He's eye dominant guy. He's always kind of messed up when you look at his position wise because of that eye dominance that he, he switches over. And he just hasn't fine-tuned his left side position as well when it comes to rifle shooting. So it, it's one of those things you can look at and you can do. It, it's it's not that big a deal. So, uh, you know, eye dominance, man. There, there's a big thread on Sniper's Hide right about it. Everybody's it, – it's always the same advice. You know what I mean? It's funny. I was, I was looking and, and kind of brushing up on this topic and I was looking at a shotgunner guy. And, you know, they're kind of moving things over to do something. I mean, one guy's like, man, you got a two-foot pattern. Your your offset is really not that big if you just kind of do this. And, and you know, it's funny. So, And I've seen it with handguns rotating the, the handgun over so it's more in front of your left eye. I've done that as well, a little bit of ghetto cant and the handgun. And it actually worked really well for me to put that little bit of cant in my in my handgun. Um, I know some people don't like it for recoil management, but... I'm not a handgun guy, so I'm not worried too much about it. I'm not looking for my splits to be perfect for uh, that kind of deal. But uh, I know an eye dominance issue is quite a bit, uh, uh, quite a big topic of discussion. It comes up all the time. But I, again, three choices. Switch completely all your equipment. Switch periodically when it, it's it's a critical point. Or continue to do, use it with the, with the cheats and the offsets or go through the training, right? So four. 
So you got the cheats and the offsets where you can put the, the tape in front of the eye when you have to. Or you can train yourself and just work on it over time. Like I said, I worked on it and I was able to defeat it. Um, I combined glasses with dry practice and, and forcing myself to do it. And, and I've now gotten past it where I don't even think about it anymore. But I do see it when I get tired. That's the short answer. Um, I want to follow up on, on one other discussion too because we're having a, a, this continuing discussion with Jim Boatwright's hyper-stabilized bullets. Um, cause they, they don't want to use overstabilized. Uh, you can overstabilize a bullet. I know there's some people out there saying you can't, they come apart. And Je- matter of fact, Jeff, who Jeff and I both have those 13 to five twi- gain twist 338s. They were made for a special solid, the ZA solid, super long. I posted a whole bunch of stuff on it. Jeff, ha- Jeff and I have the same barrel. He shot a 300 grain uh, jacketed Sierra bullet through his had to take the muzzle break off the whole thing he says they were coming apart at 25 yards so here's your 338 being spun with a five twist exit ripping apart at 25 yards past the muzzle lead jacket everything shattering he said a couple did make the 100 yard burn but the like the group is like five six feet so you gotta. I mean, I, I'm. I'm gonna say you. You gotta understand the context of what you're doing this because I see a lot of people wanting to overspin stuff now. Uh, you know, there's a there's a school of thought, and and there's a guy out there who who's telling everybody overspin it, overspin it, overspin it. It's better for transonic. You gotta put it in context, like I said, in that window's only about a hundred feet per second before you start damaging the bullet, and you can run into a problem, man. You know, Jim's article's talking about a six twist, okay, for solids. Here, Jeff's shooting a 5.4 twist exit, and the bullets are ripping apart, okay? So that's a really important factor in this discussion of twist rates. Understand the context of where we're playing with twist, right? Because remember, the twist isn't the pressure. You could shoot it. It's the exit that's coming out and how that bullet is handling it. The, the, the conversation now is moving all towards solids. And solids you could do a lot with. The solids are being underutilized. I mean, when we look at bullet technology and jacketed bullet technology, it's changing very, very little. You know, it's not changing drastically. You get 2 to 10% if that. I think the average change in some of these bullets is like 7%. But solids, they could do so much, and especially these copper solids. It's one thing when you're doing the alloys that you can't mix with anything, but when you're doing a copper solid, you could do a a lot more switching back and forth like we talked about with the Warners. But you gotta, like I said, there's a window here with this stuff, and you gotta be real careful. Once the solids come into their own, once they get some of those costs down, People start loading them and, and, and twisting them upright and doing all that. Solids should leapfrog jacketed bullets. Somebody was saying, you know, gee, well, how come nobody won bench rest with solids? Well, it's it's <clears throat> it's a difficult it's a difficult workup because nobody's nailed it yet. And it's so expensive that people aren't willing to do the trial and error that they are with jackets. 
I think jacket technology is going to have to improve by making thicker jackets. And, and I know for guys in like hunting contexts and things like that want thinner in a lot of ways. But, you know, we're going to have to kind of double the jacket thickness in order to start taking advantage of these things in our regular bullets while keeping costs down without going straight up solid. You know, so that's that's something that you you might want to want to consider in these conversations. Um, that it, it, there is there is a downside to overspending. Like a guy came on and he wanted to do a, a, a two sixty and was asking about a seven and a half twist. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that unless you were doing the barrel under twenty two inches. Because remember that window we talked about. There's no reason to go that heavy, heavy. I know the guys want to do 147s. Everybody immediately defaults to, to, to heavies like I already ranted about, I think, twice now. But you don't have to do that. I mean, eights work great. Eights are where you kind of want that, that you know, perfect balance of twist and all that. I, I don't see the average person building these rifles because they want to shoot this stuff at a mile or into the transonic zone i mean that's the benefit of where we're looking at where you see the the greatest noticeable change is transonic and beyond when you're doing that why would you build a rifle for that you know why are we building and it's kind of odd that i see this happening more and more Guys are building a short rifle and then they say they're going to, you know, go with like the 8 twist 308. And it's like, well, why are you doing an 8 twist on your 308 in a short rifle? They're not shooting subs. It's not like some, you know, 300 blackout substitute. They're, and they'll say, well, I want to shoot it at a mile. And it's like, okay, you're giving up all this inside with your 308. Why don't you just build a mile gun? You know, we know 1 in 10 works. And you're going to do an eight for a mile. Okay, how often are you going to do that? I mean, even if you do 10 rounds at a, a range trip, is it really worth building a rifle that, that compromises the first 300 yards of, of, of travel and risk flyers and different things that do happen? Um, you know, now you become a slave to the bullet manufacturer in a way where if he, he has a bad batch you know, and you buy them, you're stuck with them and they won't work out of that rifle anymore. You know, that because it's it's such a bullet-driven thing where if you stick with a 10, everything will work. So don't get don't get wrapped around these twist rate stuffs and things like that. It, it's, it's, it's not... It, it, if you're going to build a rifle for beyond 1,000 yards, build a rifle for beyond 1,000 yards. Don't try to shoehorn these little things to make them something they're not going to be. Because I will tell you right now, they're not nearly as predictable as people claim. They're not nearly, you're not going to be able to say at, you know, 1760 with your 308, I'm going to shoot them in the left leg. You're happy to touch it anywhere, you know. But there's so much we can do where we could say, yeah, I'm going to hold on this side and I'm going to, and I can place groups. That's the goal, man. The goal should be 1,300 yards or better at the intended target. That's how we build stuff, you know? So when you're thinking about that, 1,300 feet per second at your intended target or as close thereof, the, 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 the supersonic means predictable. 
Tran and sub means not. You're, the wind is going to throw it around, especially when it's floating high in the air. You know, you're, you're a slave to all these variables that you can't control. When you're supersonic, you control more of the equation. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Psyched all you guys are listening to this on your drives, man. I appreciate the feedback and saying, hey, I'm listening on my way to work. And I know you guys are stuck in your cars most of the time. I have that luxury where I'm not dealing with that crap as much as I can anymore. Um, yeah, and we're not going to have no special Gus Mazer blade on here. You, 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 we're, we're not going to. I'm going to make I'm gonna make Mazer the, the Everyday Sniper podcast moderator. So, <laughs> so he could be the, the mod, man. Yeah. And, 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 but no, I really, I do, honestly, I, I'm, I'm completely humbled by the response to this podcast. I, I, I did not expect it. It's funny when, when Mike w- w- was like, Hey man, we should do this. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, no, no more work. And, and you know, it, it is coming out. Oh, um, speaking of work and, and doing these other things, I just put out a Ritter and Stark review, the Ritter and Stark SX1. Oh, that review's up on Sniper's Hide and on my YouTube channel. The SX-1's out of Austria. It is a um, multi-caliber rifle, and it's unique in that it switches caliber and the pick rail is attached to the barrel. So when the barrel comes out, the rail comes with it. And if, if we take that rifle apart and pull the barrel out, and it's three screws, there's, you know right there and they go through the rail and and hold on to the to the 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 rifle part of the the action part of the chassis there the rifle's super comfortable okay it's it's got a good feel to it 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 uses which uniquely it uses set remington 700 style triggers one had a bix and andy one had a uber in it um you know that we've shot and and i like the the feel of that rifle I think the pushback's going to be on that barrel. Now, they use an electrochemical CNC-made barrel technology. It's pretty unique what they're doing there. And, you know, supersonic accuracy through that rifle was pretty darn good. Um, You know, it it was right in that 5.8s with factory ammo for me. And, you know, I took it out to, at 1,500, I had great groups. At a mile, I only, and the wind picked up. It was a little weird. Um, at a mile, I had two out of five hits um, just dropping down and shooting the mile. When we shot it and we worked Felix Canyon Ranch with it, uh, I shared that rifle with Ray from Thunder Beast, and him and I shot together on that. They originally wanted to do 4,000, right? We went out there and like first thing out of the gate was they wanted this, you know, factory rifle with factory ammo. Here these things were only averaging like 26.75. Um, you know, it was really slow as far as speed went and they wanted to shoot 4,000. We we got them out there. Zero predictability. I mean, it was an, an insane amount of Max Ord and, and the winds. Uh, it was funny as I'm driving down from uh, Colorado to Roswell to Felix Canyon Ranch. You know, the whole drive down, I'm looking at these areas of, of nothingness out there. And I'm like, oh, this would be a great range. Oh, that would be a great range. Oh, shoot. Look at the wind. Oh, shoot. Look at the wind. Oh, man. My vehicle's getting pushed. Oh, look at the tumbleweeds coming across. So the wind wasn't great. You know, we already had that at working against us. So now we're going to take a factory 300 and shoot it at 4,000. And, and it just wasn't happening. Ray came the closest. 
I had doped the rifle in the best I could, handed off the rifle to Ray, and one of them splattered the target, chipped the paint, the whole thing with the rocks there. But it was, on some days we couldn't, like the first day we had zero report. No splash, no dust, no nothing. The way the sun was, the way the, the conditions were, you couldn't see anything. Like we really had to throw the format and we were trying to follow a lot of the King of Two, or not King of Two Mob, but the world record event discussion. The formatting was coming up. So we were basically saying we were going to take no more than five shots at the time. Best out of five kind of deal. We couldn't see anything. Then the next day, you know, it got a little better. Then, you know, all of a sudden it was like a freaking neon sign. And we were able to see and we were like trying to race those conditions and that's when Ray had gotten like, it was like three tries and nothing. And Ray had got that one, you know, splatter on it. So we backed off to 2600. And sure enough, the rifle was good at 2600. Now under the conditions and where we were, it went subsonic at like 17, you know, right around a mile. It went subsonic. So we were from there to 2600. We were in that subsonic range. And, you know, it, it, it didn't work as well. And part of it goes back to that twist rate because those rifles had an 11 twist. So we saw in that trans and subsonic, we had le less predictability. Ray and I managed four out of five hits for both of us at the end of the... Uh, by, by Monday, we did three days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. By Monday, we were four out of five in that Monday afternoon at 2600 with that Ritter and Stark rifle. So, you know, there's definitely some merit there in what they were doing. If they twisted it a little better, if we had better ammo, um, and by better ammo, I mean hand loads. Where ELR stuff, you got to have those SDs down. I mean, we, and, and on like Monday morning, we ran some numbers on the SDs. They were averaging in the 40s and stuff. I don't, you know, I don't know if it was the barrel or what was going on. We had terrible SDs as the more we shot. You know, it was it really got worse. And and normally with Prime and stuff, we had Nozzler, Prime, and Hornaday. And normally with Prime, I see my SDs right right around eighteen to twenty two, which is manageable. I do three oh eight. The three oh eight Prime, my SDs are in the nine single digit eight to nine SD out of Prime factory, but it's slower ammo. It's anywhere from 100, depending on your rifle, from 100 to 200 feet per second slower than what you normally want, okay? But, like, for me, with the 130s, it's faster, you know? So I don't mind. It, I gotta, I, I mix it back up. But, the, you know, it's consistent for me. I can shoot it. It's accurate. It shoots sub half minute most of the time, and so I can work with that. But in this case, with the 338s, it was just way too slow, 300 grain. And what was telling in all this is like, because they kept the, like Austria kept riding back. But the guy in Europe did this with our rifle. Some guy had shot it in, in Austria, Germany, wherever he was, Italy, I think he might have been, shooting 250 grain Cnars. And he shot him at a mile or something to that effect and had great results, better results. Well, it's the difference between that 300 in 200 if you want a 300 grain bullet out of a 338 to work you got to be over 2800 feet per second actually 2850 to, to really put a fine point on it you can get away to a certain point 
at 2800 and it'll work good. 2850 is should be that minimum for that 300 grain bullet. It works better out of the edges and the different things when you hand load them up. When you get factory ammo, most of that factory ammo is like 27, maybe 2750 if you got a longer barrel, down to that 2650. They do not work as advertised. And that's the case where you'd almost have to over twist it. Because you got to make that up because you're 100 to 150 feet per second slower than you need to be. 200 if you're in the 26s. Too slow for that bullet. So you got to spin it a little more. Now the 250 CNRs, because they're fast, a lot of that load is actually usually pretty good. Those will work better at guys at ELR distances. And this is where don't always default to heavies, man. Heavies are not always the answer in this case. Where this guy saw better results out of the Ritter and Stark with 250 CNRs. 11 twist barrel on the 338. There's your there's your balance, right? Muzzle velocity is one um, element. Twist rate is the other element. And then, you, you know, your bullet weight is the final element. You got to put them all. You can't just say, I'm going heavy and I'm twisting hard and I'm good. What about muzzle velocity? You're, 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 you're up or down. If you're up, which some people do, get up. Then if you over twist like that, you run into a problem and then the bullet becomes an issue, you know? So you gotta, you gotta understand this balance. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm filtering this down to about a hundred to 150 feet per second window. I think 150 is being a, a little aggressive, but a hundred feet per second window is where that falls into. So think about that, but check out that Ritter and Stark review. With the video, the rifle comes apart. It's an option for people. I really think when they, if they can, if they can redesign it just a tick. I like the the chassis side of it. The barrel to me, the and barrels are are a bigger part of it. If if they can get that rail off and have it so you can take like a seven hundred replacement barrel, put it into an extension in there and go, you got a winner. It would be a good option for people because it's not super expensive. It, it, it's got some really good design elements to it. It's just I think the U.S. market's going to push back against that barrel, that pick rail on the barrel a little bit. It's not bad. The bitches is, is the is the scopes. The the design on its own works for what they're trying to accomplish. The problem is is you run into a scope issue because you're always now, me, I always re-zero if I can help it, but you'd have to almost, to have it right, you'd almost have to have a scope per barrel. And when you put it in, you put it in with the scope on it, and it's good. It'll come right back to where you need it to be. And it does. It returns really well that way. But what most people are going to do is take the scope off, pull the barrel out, put the new barrel in, put this new scope on. So now you have a change and a caliber change. And so you're going to have to re-zero. And, and I don't think the offset feature in your software is going to be really where you want it to be accuracy-wide because you're going to have a, a pretty good offset for 100-yard zero. I mean, maybe, but I just don't see it. Unless you were kind of like a Horus guy and, and you were just going to dial in the offset and use the reticle 100%. 
I, I can't see people being as thrilled as with like the ones where like a PSR, uh, you know, with the AI, AI PSR rifle. I know I can leave the scope on if I zero it with the 338. The offset's not that great going down to 300 and 308. It, it there, there is one and you can see it, but it, it's not as big as you'd think. And you can do it from one zero and it works. Where this, I think, is just one too many moving parts. But like I said, I, I think in the brown, the brown they have in that Ritter and Stark is pretty sexy. You know, so the the... It's 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 an option, man. It's a viable option for people to look at. Not everybody wants to go the same direction as everybody else. Some people like to collect, and and, and it's it's definitely out there. I, I I like the feel. I like the bolt throw. I like the way that all works. I just you know I, I'm I'm so hyper focused on barrels right now. I think I'm being a little critical over that barrel tech, but I think that they can they could solve that easy. So it, it's, there's definitely up, there's a lot of uphill that these guys are not uphill, but there's a lot of downhill these guys can do making life, you know, easy. And then the next thing you know, it'll, it'll leapfrog into this viable option. Cause I think the weight's right. The feels right. The, 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 what they're doing to change the barrel is, is fine. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot of downsides on it. it, it it's strong with the three screws it's easy with the with the singles tool and, and stuff like that so check out the video i put up on youtube and on sniper's hide of the ritter and stark um it's 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 worth looking at for everybody but yeah man we dumped like god three cases almost i think at that felix canyon ranch with them and and you learn so much from spotting and looking at the conditions and and it's funny you know we were talking about the software and wind and some guys had come up on Saturday or Sunday I forget which day it was and we were shooting the 26 and 3200 yard targets and we were using about a mil and a half of wind and somebody had come up and put the conditions into like an AB Kestrel and and the thing asked told them five mils and it was like wow you know so you gotta really be careful ELR is a whole nother animal. Like I said, the, 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 the key to that is speed. Then over twisting it. And I would do like a left hand gain twist for that. If you're going to build something new, uh, you're going, you want to go longer in that 28 to 32. Cause you want that velocity, um, you know, picking the right powder to burn slower, to get that velocity out of the longer barrel is something else. And then choosing the right bullet, man. If you guys are into the 338s, and a lot of people are, here's the thing. Your 300 grain bullet is not the magic answer. 285 Hornadays. We did the gun sight test, and, and you can find it. It's still published on Sniper's Hide. Gun sight set up a test for us on some bullets. We had a whole mix of solids. We had all kinds of stuff. And they put out a paper target for us, big boards, at 1500 meter. 1,000 meter and 1,500 meter. We were able to shoot not only groups, but check uh, vertical spreads, check drop-down accuracy. We did an actually an extra day off of their XLR course, where their XLR course was normally a three-day. We did a four-day. We put all this stuff into practice. We trued all the software. We did classes on field firing solution with them early. 
Um, you know, they had the demos and the whole thing. So we, we did nothing for the first couple of days, but true our software up for what we were doing. I shot solids, um, in one of their classes, the predator solids from, uh, Steve. And then we did all this kind of, uh, you know, testing of different bullets. We had Bruno, who's a Hyde member and got, I mean, he's loading on the line. He had his vehicle there and we were, he had a snipe tack. So we were able to take 338 bullets and put them through his his super zippy uh, snipe tack round. We had an 18 inch 338 all the way to these snipe tacks. So we did a lot, and you know we found at the end of the day that the 285 from Hornaday, and this is back before all the changes too, was your best bullet. One of the next ones down the list was actually like that 250 CNR. Then when you went into the 300, your 300 grain CNR was the best one um, as far as result oriented. And, and then with solids, we saw that like 275 down to 235 were the best scenarios when it came to solids out of a 338. So the trend was actually that you needed that extra velocity because the 338 Lapua isn't as efficient as like a Norma. You know, the Norma on paper is a little bit better to the tune about 50 feet per second. And that's an efficiency deal. And so I would definitely recommend you guys, especially if you're going to reload, look at look at going a little bit lighter and don't just default to that 300 grain bullet right off the bat. It, it's it's not what it looks like on paper. And all the, I mean, not all, but the majority of people who crow about them are one of the type of guys who, who are, you know, missing more and just remembering the hits. You know, why well, I, I hit at a mile. Yeah, okay, how many shots did you try? You know, and two mags later, they hit at a mile, that kind of stuff. Oh, no, they work great. And, and, Inside, they're good because they're heavy, you know. They they thump, and, and if you're going to be inside the 1500, yeah, they'll work great. It's when you start going in that 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 sort of gray area that they, they don't tend to work as well as advertised. I just think the number when they're down that 150 to 200 feet per second muzzle velocity isn't as high as people make them out to be. Um, again, BC discussion, BC's velocity dependent. And when you're that low, I'm sorry, I don't think those things maintain as much. You know, look at the results that I'm seeing with that 7 twist 260. My BC numbers calculated higher by a wide margin. Now you go the other way. And, and since people weren't truing BCs to the degree they should, I think you'll see that number drop dramatically if they actually did it you know and, and unfortunately when we do all that we we true it inside to where it is still a, a sweet spot for it um a lot of talk on true in that stuff if you want to go over to snipers hide they're all mentioning it and so you can find a lot of information on true and bc's up what you can use there's shortcuts you can make they're not perfect but it'll get you closer and i do think there's some merit to doing that uh from not just a drop in, in a calculator standpoint, but from fixing the wind drift issues that I've noticed. I think that that realigning the BC uh, to what your rifle system 
reads it as is going to help with the wind drift numbers and making them closer to right. Uh, you know, they're, they're so adamant their software is correct. It's got to be an input, input error. And if that's the case, it's because we're not putting this information to our system. We're, we're taking another person's information for their system and overlaying it on ours instead of focusing everything for us. You know, somebody's asking, with all this effort, with all this... Yeah, if, if you're inside a thousand yards, you don't have to go through the effort, you know? It's just one of... It's, it's, you don't have to do it. it, it all this stuff's going to be right. A lot of what we're doing is for beyond, is for academic purposes to fine-tune it. I mean, if I'm a tenth, within a tenth here or there on something, I can go, oh, okay, I'm good. But if I want to get something exact and I'm really hunting for that on the money all the way out or as best I can do, because like I said, this is a curve and, and we're dealing with a lot of variables, well, then I'm putting in the effort, you know? But if you can be within that tenth or two, which a lot of us can, you know, you figure a, a PRS thing's two MOA targets, right? That means you got two minutes of fudge. If you're a tenth or two off, you're... 0.3 to 0.7. So you're within, you're well within inside the window, you know, that you're fine with. So don't even, don't worry about it. Don't go through the effort. I mean, we're doing it because we're presenting this to you and I'm trying to present it in detail versus just saying, oh, put this in, put that in, you're good. Oh, okay, at 400, you're off a little bit. At 800, you're right. Yeah, that's fine. 400's closer. Blah, 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 blah. You know, there, there's a lot of, balance we can we can manage here but um nope i want to say hey thank you for the thousand followers i want more we're going to keep this up i'll probably be in mile high tomorrow talk to mike over there i got i got a bunch of stuff to do i got to ship a barrel over here i got a bunch of other crap to ship out um you know i need to head out that way start talking about the class uh we're hitting march now so mile high detachment classes I haven't heard, but May should still have slots, and then we're going to be opening up August. As soon as May clicks, I'm going to open August up. Although, if your vacation time works better, you can get a hold of Dorothy now, and she can fill you in for August. She has the information. We just haven't put it out because May still has some slots left. But I'm psyched. Thousand, thousand followers. Uh, God, like 38,000 downloads for 23 episodes. Money, you know, this is this is this is some uh, laser tooth tiger stuff right here. I'm telling you. So I appreciate it. I'm gonna cut this one a, a little bit shy on it, but um, we talked cross eye dominance and we talked that Ritter and Stark, and a, and a little bit of reaffirming. But understand context, 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 as well as the why. Why are we doing it? I'm I'm bringing this to you guys to explain my whys. Why am I doing it the way that I'm doing it? Okay? And and if you ask me and if somebody doesn't have that answer, well, you know, and make sure the why lines up to all the elements. Like I said, there's the shooter, the rifle, the scope, the barrel, the bullet, the powder, the twist. You know, all these things have to be in agreement. If you mess too much, I mean, I can have the best system in the world. If if I'm a hack shooter, I'm not going to get the accuracy. 
if I'm a great shooter, but I'm playing in the wrong direction and I'm overdoing something and the bullet never makes it to the target because it's gone out of balance or it comes apart halfway there, well, I've, I've went out the other way. So understand the windows. And we're trying to work within these windows to maximize the accuracy, maximize the potentials that we have. And so that's my job is to answer this in as much detail as to the why. Why am I saying what I'm saying? I may be wrong on some of this stuff. It's a lot of it's theory, man. A lot of it is real world. I mean, we're not looking at it to that degree. We just don't have the technology unless we all had Doppler and can read it to a certain degree. But why, why, why? That's what I want to know. Why did I do it? Frank, why are you doing that? Well, this is why. So, alrighty, guys. Thank you for following. Thank you for sharing. Please continue to share. Oh, um... Programming note, listen, for the iTunes, man, I submitted it. Then they went in and whatever, it was like the Podbean app had a different image and you had to have a specific size. So I fixed it. I went back. I said, listen, Apple, here it is. The guy came on and goes, nope, it's the same image. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I updated it and like something didn't take and it's in the system, the right image. The guy wants, it just wasn't like showing. All they do is went over and went, oh, nope, wrong image. And I'm like, moved one thing and it was back to the right image i emailed the guy back and i said it's back he emailed me and said yeah i'll look at it later like they threw me at the back of the line but i've been in the queue for apple for itunes forever so i can't tell tell you what the freaking story is man maybe it's because it's everyday sniper they're just being you know dragging their feet on purpose somebody mentioned the google play store i guess i can go throw it in that I, I think the Podbean app works good. The online, you can listen to it and all. So I haven't gone out of my way for these other podcast services. Um, this one's working. But these guys, it's, it's, you're, you're dependent on them. It's not us, man. I'm submitting it and it's dependent on them. And their rules are so finite. Like I said, one image was off. It was like a 1280 on the long edge. And they're like, it's got to be 1440 square and that image was in there and it was even marked as 1440 and the guys, oh no, it's the wrong image. It's only this big. I'm like, no, I just switched it, dude. It fucking annoys me. So I'm on it. Share it. Appreciate it. Come over to Sniper's Hide. Call Mike Mile High. The debt classes. You guys rock. Have a great one. Ciao.